Alicia, and I um, want to welcome everyone joining us uh, for our Sunday online service. Um, we're grateful to God for yet another day, and grateful for another opportunity as well to listen to God's word and God's uh, counsel for us as his people, um, as his people meant for his glory. Um, whilst, just making a couple of adjustments here, sorry, I beg your pardon, should have done this before coming up here. Sound good? Okay, just getting a bit of feedback as well. <clears throat> All right. Um, again, welcome. And uh, I, I guess that, that welcomes for me. <laughs> Just trying to get myself organized as well. Um, now, we have uh, come to um, this final section as we, as we get to the word today of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And um, it's been a very interesting journey, uh, walking, um, not walking really, actually looking over the shoulders of the church in Corinth as this letter of Paul has been read to them. And uh, thank God for preserving his word, even as we have it today, so that we have opportunity as well to be blessed and nurtured from the things that um, God has preserved in his word and in these letters. Um, as we, in, in today's um, message, or in today's section, we'll be looking at the last uh, couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that's verses 5 through to 24. Um, I've been a bit conflicted about which way to go with this, but um, uh, come to resolve to just look at this in terms of what, uh, the, what things that we can glean from the letter itself, from those greetings that Paul uh, gives in conclusion to the letter. Well, uh, just before we read the text, I mean, Paul closes the letter to the church in Corinth on a more personal note, you know, giving some brotherly encouragement. I mean, just imagine you were writing. You're writing to your spiritual children, if you have any, or people who you have encouraged to walk in Christ and got brought to know Jesus Christ. Um, and you're writing to them. What spiritual advice will you give them? What kind of counsel will you give them as well? Um, if, for example, Paul were addressing us as a church here, what, what advice would he give us as well? And thinking about it, what sort of church do you think indeed or consider that we are when you think about the advice that Paul's giving here and the kind of greetings that he gives? Well, <clears throat> in my day job, in my line of work, um, I'm constantly helping clients, helping 
people to find suitable housing. And one of the things, some of the things that we do entails um, making sure that the landlords or the owners of the property have um, letting buildings which are compliant with the regulations, they're safe for people to live in, and they continue to be safe for people to live in. You know, the sim in a similar way, the work that the church does for Christ, for the Lord, is also started off in a particular way and needs to continue in the same way as well. I mean, if we're doing anything for Christ or for God, we want to be doing it according to his plan, according to his uh, guidance and according to his code, as we can see in scripture. And we must continually be subject to that um, divine guidance, the guidance that God actually gives and lays out for us as his people. Now, in this section, I mean, whilst Paul is not, not specifically teaching anything, I mean, we've had quite a, done a, lot, quite a lot of heavy lifting through the chapters uh, of Corinthians. Um, he comes to actually have regard uh, for the things that he, he says here actually have something to do with the work that um, the believers do and in which all believers can be involved. I, in preparing for this, I was really quite struck going back over the letter with how God chooses the people that he uses to do his work. People you least expect to be involved in God's work. I mean, take the Apostle Paul, for example. <laughs> a guy who set out originally as a Jew, opposed to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, setting out to arrest believers as well, and consenting to them being um, subject to capital punishment. Yet, Christ chooses this individual and makes it clear that he is a chosen vessel and he must see how much he's going to suffer for the work of, the, of Christ and his kingdom. So when Paul sets out in the very early stages of the letter talking about um, how uh, the believers are not chosen according to their eloquence or their wisdom or their strength or their nobility, he has... He makes he gives a very strong indication about the standard of God contrasted from the standards of men. So, <clears throat> in many ways, these verses actually just flow out of the commands that um, Paul gives in verse 14 of our text today. If we can just uh, quickly whiz over there. And he says very simply, let all that you do be done in love. I mean, these are not just simple niceties if you, if you, when you think about it, but um, it's actually part of God's word. 
and is given to us for a divine purpose. When you think about the church today, do you see, um, do you see a church that is loving? Do you see a church that does everything it does from a motive of love? Paul addresses this. He has addressed this severally on many, um, on many, on many levels with the church at Corinth before he comes to these concluding remarks. I mean, the, chap- the, f- the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, whereas we may look and see or hear that chapter spoken of a lot at many a wedding, Paul was actually um, speaking with regard to how the church carries out its work using the gifts and the enablement that comes from God through, through his spirit to the body to build the body up using the, the, the equipping that God gives from a motive of love. So let all that you do be done in love. It basically just envelops and wraps and concludes this whole letter again, you could say, and really showcases what Paul is focusing and emphasizing in this concluding uh, greetings or in these concluding remarks. So, um, what can we see from this section? Let's um, just note a few things. I mean, I struggled with this a bit, thinking, ah, Paul, I mean, I had to ask myself questions. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? How did these, how, how could Paul be writing this letter and that yet some of the things in the letter are included in there, but um, again, he's in the earlier parts of the letter talked about his intentions of being with the church. Um, some things about letters in, in those days, they were, um, if you like, they were prepared, nothing like what we would do in terms of letters these days. I mean, come to think about it, even in our day, letters seem to have gone out of fashion. I'm not talking about bills and bank statements now, <laughs> but actually putting pen to paper to write to someone you know personally and write them a letter and put a stamp on it, put it in the post. I mean, we still get some of these, but most of the time it's instantaneous. You're writing the thing, the, the full thought from start to finish. But back in them times, letters were a matter of, um, as is still the case, correspondence between two or more parties, and then <coughs> opened up telling you who the author is. But in some cases, who else is involved in writing the letter or compiling the letter? And as <clears throat> we come across in some sections of this letter, you might find Paul is talking about coming, but then he's talking about Timothy, he's talking about if Timothy comes, and you end up find, figuring out that, well, at the end of the day, these are people who are involved in compiling the letter for, with Paul, working with Paul, and um, in this case, his letter is actually addressed to the entire <coughs> church at Corinth. And 
um, he usually have someone writing for him. However, in this letter here, Paul also indicates that, look, this is a letter I have written myself and indicates later on in the, in the last, um, in verse, in the later verses, verse 21, that this is a letter he's also signed and put his hand to. So it's come from him. Well, also at the end of the letter, we see um, Paul give a shout out or basically make a request in verse 22. Maranatha, um, indicating he's wishing for the Lord to come. Basically an appeal from Paul for the Lord to come and more or less deal with the issues that he's faced with right now. Deal with the issues that he's encountering even within the church. Um, where, okay, let me change the mic. Okay. Where he is um, dealing with and encountering believers who um, are indeed false believers and quite a great threat to the church. Okay, maybe this is a good point at which to just, are you ready to change the mic now? Or carry on? Okay. So, um, <clears throat> let's take a few, let's read the text and then just take a quick look at um, some key words in there. Want to change it now? Okay. very solemn task and one upon which we definitely need your grace. We definitely need your leading. We need your utterance, Lord. I need your utterance. I need your grace. I need your help, Lord, to speak and um, encourage and persuade and charge not just, the ch not just myself but also the church of your counsel to us, even at this time. Lord, help us to see um, how, indeed, all that we do is and comes from your heart of love, your love whereby you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and <clears throat> that um, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life and even with Christ you've given us so much freely you've enabled us with your gifts with utterance with um, many many manifestations of your of your spirit gifts workings effects ministries service all to be used to serve and build the kingdom out of that same love with which you have given to us. Lord, so I pray, um, let your love indeed pervade through this message. Let your counsel indeed be clear. Let your will indeed be known. And let hearts indeed be um, provoked even to do all that we do as a church, as a believer, 
as a member of the body, out of love. Lord God, we give you thanks and commit this time and this word to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we um, look at the text, um, I'm just going to cut it into about five or six sections. Um, first of all, verses five to nine. Verses five to nine. What's, Paul, what's going on here? So, Paul intends to come to Corinth again, and after he's gone through Macedonia, um, uh, it's one of those things where I wish um, I actually should have brought, connected, hooked this up before. But Macedonia, the region you're talking about is um, present-day uh, Greece, the Mediterranean region. And it's in that region where all of this activity is taking place, where all this missionary work, where all this preaching is taking place. Um, so where you've got modern-day Greece... And Corinth is in the south, uh, the southern part of Greece, not far off from Athens. And Paul is currently in, in Ephesus, where he's writing this letter from. Uh, more like current-day Turkey, on the western coast of Turkey. And from there, he has uh, had a three-year stay in Ephesus, where he's had opportunity and an open door for the gospel to be preached. I mean, this is something really precious, something really valuable. In fact, invaluable as far as Paul's ministry is concerned. Remember, this man is a chosen vessel by Christ, called to preach not only to Gentiles, but before kings and before the sons of Israel as well. And as it so t turns out, he's having a, a, a good time, but a tough time doing that in Ephesus at the moment. So he intends to come to Corinth. He's already written this in his letter. And, um, but there is an open door, there's an opportunity for him to preach the gospel there. How did this come about? At the time Paul left Corinth, the last time he left Corinth, headed for his home church in Syria, or current-day Palestine. He has, on his way, stopped over at Ephesus. And as, he, as was customary for him, walked into the synagogues and began to dispute or refute from this, to, to explain from the scriptures to the Jews that Jesus is Christ, is, is, is the savior you're looking for. And um, it turns out that the guys have a keen interest in wanting that conversation to continue. Paul says, can't do it right now. I'll come back if God wills. And he's back there now um, and has had initially a couple of months stint preaching in the synagogues or, or dis, um, explaining the gospel out of scriptures in the synagogues, but then he meets up with opposition. Anyway, at this time... He writes this letter and probably sends it through Timothy, um, as we see in verse, where he mentions Timothy in verse 10. And Paul originally planned to follow Timothy closely behind. We can um, 
work this out from where Paul mentions in chapter 4 and verse um, 19 that in the letters to the Corinthians, the main body of the letter, that he will come to them shortly. He will come to Corinth shortly um, if the Lord wills. And at this time, Paul, I mean, as you can see, it, it's, it, it's where I've talked about letters. The letter had been begun being compiled. Paul had been in Ephesus a while and had already begun compiling the letter, but sends this on anyway and still remains in Ephesus. And um, we glean from verse 10 that uh, he intended, from, from, sorry, from verse, chapter 4 and verse 19, that he intended to follow uh, Timothy closely behind. And what his intention was to visit Corinth on the way from Macedonia again, part of Greece, but the northern part of Greece, of modern-day Greece. And while Corinth down south. And then intending to come back again, uh, to go to the, the north of Greece, but on his way, go through Corinth, go up north, come back south, and then head back out to his home church, in, his hope, to his sending church in Antioch, which is in Syria. Well, but interestingly, Paul had to change his plans. He had to change his plans because um, indeed he carried on and stayed longer in Ephesus. So, at the time Paul's written this letter, um, he's initially facing mild opposition from, the, from Jews in Ephesus. Let's just quickly turn to um, Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And reading from... Sorry, I beg your pardon. Acts chapter 19. And reading from verse 8. So, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, Paul went to the synagogues and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, um, he departed from them. And then he withdrew the disciples. So, so by this time already, there's a, there's a followership. There's people who want to learn about Jesus Christ. Well, continued the work, uh, continued teaching these people at another venue now, at the school of Tyrannus. And by the time Paul gets to um, continue this work, he finds he has to now send two of his assistants. If you go on to, just skip down to verse 22 of Acts chapter 19. Again, this is kind of like taking us just to see how events unfolded with this. So Paul had to change his plans here. Chapter 19 and verse 22 of Acts of the Apostles. When these things were accomplished, um, as it turns out, before now, followership for the gospel, people beginning to hear about Jesus being the Christ, Jesus Christ crucified, 
bringing salvation for their souls. Even people in Ephesus now who formerly worshipped the God, uh, um, um, the, the gods, the Greek gods, these guys began just giving up their, their idols, people who actually were divining and doing all sorts of things for other gods and people who did magic, brought all their books and burned them in the sight of all. And hmm, at this time, some began to think, wait a minute, we're, we're losing a lot of business here. If people are giving up their, their worship and their magic and their worship of these other gods, it seems trade's going to dwindle for us. Um, and this brought about some other trouble again. But at this time, when these things were happening, it was when Paul intended that he would pass through Macedonia, that's head for Greece, head down south and visit the guys at Corinth, and all these plans he's told the believers about here in his letter. But he sends into Macedonia, verse 22, two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. So here's Timothy that's mentioned in our letter that we're looking at today. Uh, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And then about that time, there was a big commotion about the way. So we see here that even in the face of this commotion, organized by those who made silver shrines for Diana, um, that brought no small profit to them, caused a real uproar and a riot in the entire city. These guys, to the point of even uh, Paul finding himself and his life in danger, um, this led to Paul just continuing to uh, stay and yet still have opportunity to preach the gospel. Um, now, Paul says that he, uh, at this time again, he sought opportunity for the gospel with these, with the, um, with, so he saw, he saw an opportunity, a door open to continue to stay at Ephesus and continue to minister. Now, here's something else as well that brings us to see the heart of Paul in terms of his ministry. I mean, in the face of this opposition, in the face of this trial, in the face of this threat for his life and despairing really for his life in Ephesus, he sent his assistants, a couple of them away. But how could Paul remain there how could Paul continue the work there? I mean, in the face of adversity, what's the options we have? Is it to stand and fight? Or is it to retreat and fall back? I mean, but look what Paul decides to do. And we see and we get a clue of, of, of how he's managed to do this um, when we look at him later explaining to the Corinthians how come uh, he 
what kind of adversity he faced and how he managed to, to come through it. You know, in his second letter to the Corinthians, I read of Paul telling the Corinthians that, look, <laughs> with this adversity from the Jews, with adversity from the silversmiths in Ephesus, with adversity even going further beyond this riot in the city from an assassination plot by the Jews as well, when that died down. Paul despaired even of his life. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> Just you preaching this message in this city with a, with a handful of other believers. But then there are others who have come to believe who are actually looking to you. What would you do? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 8 to 10, that indeed he had the sentence of death within himself, or within themselves. But then he realized and he learned not to trust in themselves, but in God. Not to trust in himself, but in God. And check this out. This is something that Paul has actually been emphasizing in the letter to the Corinthians. In fact, one very core and central doctrine that he taught throughout the letter to the Corinthians. His trust is in God who raises the dead. And think, thinking that, wow, even in the face of such adversity, if it comes down to our lives being taken, God raises the dead. I know that might sound, boy, you just calling this thing like it's easy. <laughs> if, if we die, big deal, God will raise us from the dead. But question, seriously, how far does our belief and trust in the gospel go? The gospel message gives us the promise of being raised from death to life. I'm not talking about being raised to live and continue living and then dying again like Lazarus did, but the fact that God has the power to raise the dead. Is this motivation coming from just simple determination and self-will, or is this something that God has actually put in the heart of the disciple, of the apostle and something that actually quickens and makes this man alive to say and trust and love the Lord who has appointed him and sent him even into adversity. And he's able to, to, to attest that God uh, who raises the dead, who delivered us from such so great a peril of death, will deliver us, will deliver us. And indeed, he's the one on whom Paul has set his hope during all this opposition. Um, so his trust was not in himself, but his trust was in God who raises the dead. The hope of the resurrection that is, that is, is, in, is in Christ, indeed for reaching um, for the witness of Jesus as Christ. Will we take our witness that far? Is the love that Christ has, sh has poured out on us in 
coming, giving his life on the cross, promising eternal life, demonstrating that he can deliver on it, is that, uh, will we take it that far in the face of adversity um, to the point that we would pass or, will you, or do we just get to a point where we'll just pass on adversity and leave adversity alone? We'll pass on that chance and not speak about Jesus Christ. Well, quickly, moving on from the first part where Paul talks about the adversaries. He urges the church to receive Timothy when he comes to receive him and see that he is without cause to be afraid. I just wonder and think about it. Let's imagine we're part of the church at Corinth for a second. Is there any reason that any visitors coming to us will be afraid of coming? <laughs> Serious question. Why would they be afraid of coming? Would it be because we still have factions? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. Would Timothy be concerned for such things? Since it's Paul sending him with those of Apollos' faction, say, we're not listening to that brother. In fact, that letter that he's bringing from Paul, we just got to seize it before he gets here and shred it to bits. There'd be no point listening because it's not from Apollos. Well, to do the Lord's work, and Paul says he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. It's, con it's a bit concerning that um, a church should receive such instruction from their spiritual father. Yes, one who is, who's discipled them, who's established the church and just seen how the church has kind of gone uh, off the rails in terms of being a loving church. But um, it's just opportunity for Paul to remind these guys and provoke them really to, to love and lovingly receive this servant of God who's coming to do the Lord's work. After all, who is the Lord of the church? Who is the one who gave his life for them? Uh, did, he, did he give his life likewise for Timothy? Um, is that the case for any who come to do the Lord's work here among us? Do they do it for the Lord? The Lord who loves us so much that he gave his life for our sakes? And will we extend that same love to any coming to be a part of the Lord's work here? That's some, uh, something instructive for us as well. And going on to um, Apollos, verse 12. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And, I was not, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Um, 
I think the point here Paul is making, well, he would rather have Apollos come and be an encouragement to strengthen and um, build up the church as well. Just like he did in Ephesus. It's recorded in the Acts of the Apostles um, that uh, while Paul finds himself at Ephesus, Apollos had been there just before, and he was a great encouragement. In fact, very eloquent Jewish guy, um, and who was educated as well, and handling the word of God very, very soundly. But he chose not to come, and Paul had regard for that. Um, I know that it can seem like, I mean, in our day, if I'm the apostle, you are the servant, I've sent you to go to Macedonia or to go to Corinth, you're going to Corinth. There's no choice or option about it. I've said you're going, you're going, end of story. But Paul has regard for Apollos' wishes not to go to um, Corinth just yet. Um, but he will come when he has opportunity. Something to learn from that. It's instructive in that um, the authority that God gives even to those who have oversight of the church is one to be exercised in love. Is one to be exercised indeed to build up not to tear down, not to lord over, but to actually encourage and um, build up and have regard even for the free will that God has given to each and every one of his, his children. Remember, the flock is the Lord's. It is not ours. Um, you may be members at Ecclesia here, Listen, you do not belong to me, you belong to Christ. And um, we have every regard for that. And I pray that that's the same regard we have for one another as members of, of the same body, being members um, who would have that regard for one another. And it's something that Paul has already touched on in the body of the letter, talking about how the members ought to have regard for one another. Be they gifted in ways that are uh, very prominent or in ways that are not so prominent. They want to have regard for one another. And in that way, carrying out the ministry of the church in love. Just like we've um, said is the tagline indeed in this section. Um, now, looking at the... Um, Moving on, we just now see Paul urging the, the brothers to have regard for certain, um, for, such, for certain kinds of men. Who are these people? I urge you um, to be in subjection to, and he mentions guys like the household of Stephanus that they were the first fruits of Achaia and they have devoted themselves for the ministry of the to, for the ministry to the saints this is i want to say this is clear and this is self-explanatory when you think about it 
Paul has Stephanus, and um, as we'll see later on, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus in verse 17, they've actually come over to be with Paul from Corinth. Now, these guys were the, among the first believers in Achaia, those who came to accept the gospel that Jesus is Christ. What is it about them and their work that is done in love? Well, the question that comes to mind here is how much or what does our um, being added to the body of Christ mean to the body of Christ? What does our participation in the body of Christ bring to the work of Christ? Is it one of, I participate, I'm here, I stand to gain, I stand to benefit, I stand to receive a lot, um, and that's it. That's great, that's understandable, because as new believers, we get to a point where we, we, we can be as babes who just need nurture, need to grow, need to, to, to grow up, and before we can come to be, I mean, using a human analogy, come to be independent, come to be able to stand on our own. But of course, in this work, we don't stand entirely by ourselves. It is the life of God in us that we receive by his spirit that quickens us. But Paul says of these guys, and he wants the church to note it, and it's worth noting, they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. Um, it can be a sensitive issue, um, but it's God's word. They've devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. What does that mean for us? What is the ministry that the saints need? What's the service that the saints need? In this case, they've gone over to Paul from Corinth. They've gone to supply what was lacking in terms of supporting Paul in his ministry. This is just one form of ministry. We have people who actually um, go from place to place preaching the gospel, like Paul did. Paul an apostle, one of those initially founding the church. And boy, did that guy travel. Travel. Can you imagine traveling all over the Mediterranean? Traveling from Israel. Let's, let me use present day terms. Israel to Syria to Jordan to um, Turkey to Greece to Italy. That guy traveled. And not just... I'm not just saying he, he didn't just stop at the airports. <laughs> he didn't just stop at the, there were no airports then. He didn't just stop at the seaports. He come, come, come out the terminal, if you like, and visited towns to talk about Jesus being the Christ to people who already believed something else. Just to see that they would accept that Jesus is Christ that there is salvation in him and there's good news there to be had. 
It wasn't just nominal for him. It was work. I suppose in our own small ways, we could consider first and foremost the witness that I bear of Jesus Christ. I've been seriously convicted about this because when you read the Bible and list and see what people are doing for Christ, it's not like I'm trying to compare myself with them, but you have to ask the question, what does my belief in Jesus Christ mean? Is it just a nominal thing? Is it just a, a, a notional thing? Am I just a Christian on the form? That tick box, religion, tick, Christian, and there's many other options. Is that where it stops? Does it go beyond there? Does it affect my life? Do I tell others about it? And, when in, and in doing that, to what extent? On what scale? And here's this guy doing ministry, telling people about Jesus on a large scale, needing support. And here are some people who just decide, we're behind you on this. We're backing you on this. There's many things I can say. Whatever they took to him, it cost money to travel to get there. And then whatever parcel they prepared for the guy, whether it was parchments, whether it was scrolls, whether it was clothing, whether it was supplies, who knows? You know, or just staying at inns would cost money. Hotel bills, put it in today's terms, it would cost money. But these guys devoted themselves in that way. Were they looking for brownie points? Were they Paul groupies? They, they love this guy and they love his ministry. They have all his books. <laughs> and, they, and they subscribe to his podcast. They, they're on his Insta. You know, like everything he posts. No, they were tangibly supporting the work. They knew what they were supporting. They knew they were supporting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Well, so Paul says, acknowledge such men. Acknowledge such men. I, I, I wonder, I'm a bit, I was um, just kind of scratching my head about that in this time and in this day. We may think that Life in this culture is so private that nobody can really get to know what our um, involvement in ministry or work or how we testify or support the gospel is, what, is, what that's about. But um, I suppose in this culture, we call for, some, for a degree of vulnerability and openness, not to say... I'm here on the leaderboard. No, <laughs> not at all. But when I think about it on reflection, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There's people who are being encouraged and built up in, in, in getting to know Christ better. There's, there's people who are being encouraged and discipled every month. There's people who are actually spending time studying the word of God. Child of God, um, for these guys, being the first fruits themselves, even if, let's forget about doing all these great things for God. For me as an individual, am I given over to Christ? 
That's important. That's key. Because that's what Christ calls for. A, de- a life devoted to him. Acknowledge such men. And quickly moving on. Here's some interesting thing that's going on. Um, the churches of Asia greet you. Verse 19. Aquila and, Pr- and Pris- Prisca or Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord. With the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's, that's interesting. The church that's in their house. I, I, as, I, as I prepared for this, I, I kind of thought, hmm, this Ephesus that Paul's gone to like this, were there any churches there? And you notice there was a pattern of Paul going into the synagogue. I noticed that he would get to a city, go into the synagogue. Um, the same thing um, uh, Apollos was doing, go into the synagogue. And then there were believers there among them, but then they're still going to the synagogue. My 21st century mind is asking, hold on, aren't you guys Christians? What are you doing in the synagogue? <laughs> and I'm asking, why don't they go to church instead? <laughs> where? <laughs> I'm probably thinking location, location. No, where? Where's church? So they met um, in, in Venues aside from the synagogue, I mean, we, re- we see already of Paul meeting believers in the school of Tyrannus. They probably hired a hired a, hired an arena. Um, I mean, you can just imagine churches meeting in public open spaces. What about when the elements are not so great? What happens? Um, Aquila and Priscilla, they were originally in Corinth when Paul first visited, and then moved out to Ephesus. And now they have a house there, and they're hosting the church. The church meets at their house. Boy, I'm looking at Sam like, <laughs> hosting community group, man. That's like big things. It's, it's, I mean, imagine every week, uh, you get to a point where, oh, is it, is it Wednesday? Oh. This, is, this, this can be tiring. <laughs> These guys hosted the church in their house. I don't know how many. I'm just imagining there were plenty. Who knows? Maybe the man had a big backyard and was hosting the church, you know? <coughs> Excuse me. I don't imagine they put out teas and coffees. <laughs> that would be serious. Anyway, when you have a gathering of people... Or where the church gets to meet, listen, you must really love them people for, for you to keep having them around. And uh, Paul, where he says, Aquila and Priscilla greet you. Boy, that is some, that is some demonstration of love right there. I mean, the church meets in their house. Wow. I'm like. I really greet you guys. You're, you're doing something great right there. Hosting a church in your house. And it's, um, it's amazing that there can be such uh, devotion to the Lord and to the ministry to the saints. It is, it is a service to the saints to, to host individuals where they need to come to meet, whether it's to pray whether it's for instruction in the word, whether it's even to 
to just come and get some counsel. You can imagine the people in Corinth or wherever the church meets before they wrote to Paul and he had to respond to these, letters, to these questions that they asked in Corinth. Where would they go to ask those questions? Who would they speak to? Uh, perhaps Aquila and Priscilla provided this sort of um, um, service to the church. I mean, look at them taking Apollos, a very educated and astute guy, and pulling him aside to teach him more perfectly, more accurately, the way of God. When the guy just knew only, up, he knew the way of God, but up to the baptism of John. It took time, pulled him aside. So these are people who were actually devoted, giving themselves heartily to the Lord as well. <laughs> devoted and doing the service of the Lord out of a heart of love. And of course, he extends the greetings of all the church in Ephesus to the, to, to the believers. Now, as we see in all of these things, definitely love, the love that comes from Christ really, really washes through all of these things, washes through all of this service that the um, believers are rendering to the Lord. Now, in conclusion, Paul indicates to the church, yep, this greeting is signed, is in my own hand. It's basically signed, Paul. This letter has got me in it. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Do you see the, the, the call again for love? It's a call. It sounds like he's cursing. It sounds like he's damning people. But he's actually making a call here to love. Especially for those who for whom this taking part in the church may be a nominal thing. It may just be a thing of, okay, oh, oh right, yeah, I'm one of you. And, it's, and it doesn't go beyond that. And boy, that can be like a thorn in the flesh. That can be as, as just as the, the Corinthians have experienced. I mean, how can it get to the point where a believer is feeling free to to live in sexual immorality and openly and the church backs it. I mean, you can tell there's, there's a major, major problem there. And Paul here throws out an opportunity, a, a, a measure of grace. If anyone does not love the Lord, it's a call to love. He is to be accursed. And he and, he, and he, he uses this term, Maranatha, which I described earlier on. Really, oh, Lord, come. More or less, Lord, come and just clean this place up. Come and sanitize this, your house. Come sanitize your church, Lord. And still, in all of it, extending grace to the believers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Um, of course, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one to think about, it's one to consider, and for us to look and think how we get involved. 
what the motivation is for our involvement in the church. What indeed inspires us to even stay involved in, in Christ and in his body. Um, it cannot be less than the love of Christ. Because indeed, check this. God has showered his love upon us. God indeed has showered his love upon us to the point that um, <coughs> he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That we should be called the children of God. I say children, it's just, I mean, it says the sons of God in First John, but that we should be called the children of God. Can you imagine that? Children of God, everyone who comes in response to the love that God has shared out to us. As um, I close, I just ask a few questions. I mean, do we really need to love one another? Do we really need to do everything that we do out of love? Or can we just get by? What would we be building? What would we be serving? What purposes would we be serving if it were otherwise? Let's pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.